It's summertime. Folks are away on vacations. That's okay. We're glad that they get a chance to do that. I'm going to be leaving this week, as a matter of fact, myself. Uh, we'll be leaving this afternoon, going down the state to visit family. We'll be back in town Thursday afternoon. But uh, we are uh, excited to be here during these days. And today we want to think about the topic, why we love the church. If I were to ask you here today, by a show of hands, how many of you really like good food? How many of you would rate? Yeah, there they go, all over the place. Uh, we like good food, don't we? We may not always like the same kind of food. Some of you may prefer pizza. Others may prefer steak. Uh, others may prefer a hamburger. Somebody might like something else. But we all like good food, and we enjoy that. If I were asked today, how many of you here really love North Florida Baptist Church? How many hands would we see all over this place? Amen. I would trust that everybody would say, yes, we do love North Florida Baptist Church. I say that specifically because that's where God has planted your lives and our lives. And so when I say we love the church, this is where He's planted us for this time in our life as well. And we can tell you this, we love North Florida Baptist Church. We love you. You have made us feel so welcome and so at home here. And we thank you uh, for that. And we praise God for you. And uh, we love the church. We love it because it is His church. It is His church. Now, the church is often thought of, and we've said before, and we'll say it again, it's uh, considered as a place where people gather to pray, to preach, to learn uh, the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, uh, to spend time together, to sing praises to our Lord. And it's a place where we gather. And uh, we know and understand that. And that is true. But uh, if we're going to know what the church really is about, we have to look further and deeper than the bricks and mortar, the wood and all that goes to make it up. It's a beautiful place. But we have to look much deeper than that. So let's read our text for today. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. If you have your copy of the Word of God, you want to read along there with us. And I read out of the New American Standard translation of the Bible. I've shared that with you before. Uh, in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah. But still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Not a bad group to be with, for sure. To be named among, but that's not it. But He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, that unseen world, the place we go in death, will not overpower it. Cannot overpower it. Sometimes we get the picture that the church is sitting there and the church has all the doors closed and everybody is huddled inside and it's being attacked by hell or Satan and all his forces from the outside, but we're protected because we're in here and everything is okay. That's not the picture that he wants us to see here. What he wants us to see is that the church is out there 
to attack the world, attack hell, attack everything that is evil and ungodly and go after it in the name of Jesus to win it over to the truth of God. And he says, if we'll go in the power of God, then all that's out there resisting us will not be able to overpower us because we go in the name and in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this picture is. And he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now notice he says that it is founded upon the rock. Founded upon the rock. And uh, he says, I want to say to you, you are Peter. Peter's name is rock, but it's Petros. It's a small rock. It's a detached rock. It's a small stone. It's not the big rock. But when he says upon this rock, I will build my church. The word for rock there in Greek is Petra. It is the, it, it's the foundation rock. It's the big rock. It is the one that cannot be moved. I think of the rock of Gibraltar. It's a big rock. But even that one will not suffice to be the rock that Jesus is. In the Old Testament, He's talked about as the rock. In the New Testament, He's talked about as the rock. The rock of our salvation. That's who he is. And so Jesus is saying, I will build my church and I will build it upon the rock that is. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk about loving the church. We're going to have to spend more than just one, one morning on that. It's going to take two. And so next Sunday, this is an introduction to next Sunday, okay? And so you'll want to be, re be ready for that and invite your friends back. We'll just kind of recap briefly here, and then we'll move on. But what are we talking about, about loving the church? We ought to love the church because we love the founder of the church. The founder of the church. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus didn't say that Peter or anyone else would build his church, but that he would build it. And he talks about the Church built on the foundation of the apostles and disciples and etc. And we understand what he's talking about there when he says these are the people who are going to be out there doing the work that I have given you to do. And so we all ought to be building the church of Christ. But we understand that it is him that is doing it through us. I've told people many times, I do not have a ministry. I don't have one. He has one. And he has simply invited me to be in on it with him. The same is true here with you. You don't have a ministry. He does. But he's invited us to be in on it with him. And that's why he can say we're building on the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's who uh, we are. And we're to be building uh, with him in his church. Now there are some names that you would attach to the building of this church and the founding of this church. And, and you would recall many of those names with fondness and say, thank you, Lord, for sending someone to this city to build this church. And as a result, many people have been touched and lives have been changed. Folks have been brought into the kingdom of God because God sent someone to build this church and found this church. And we understand that and we appreciate that and we will continue on. And I'm confident... <coughs> excuse me, that North Florida was founded on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And so, even in that, it is His church that He is building. And so it's of absolute importance that we understand and know the founder of the church. 
And today I want to just simply say, this is an encouragement to you about who Jesus is. I heard a preacher one time, an uncle of mine, as a matter of fact, talking about a preacher that he knew. He said, I love the way this man brags on Jesus. I just want to brag on Jesus this morning, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. Just brag on Jesus and talk about who he is a little bit. And I trust that today you'll leave here encouraged a little bit more with just a solidity and a, and, and a little bit more of, of who Jesus is and we're able to take that with us as we go. First of all, we need to look at who he's not, all right? Who he is not. Number one, he is not a prophet from Old Testament days. There were some of the people who were saying that. Some people say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Uh, that's certainly a good group of folks to be named among. We talked about a few minutes ago. Isaiah, that, that prophet who talked about the suffering servant who was going to come. What an amazing, amazing person Isaiah was. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who looked at what was going on in the nation and it broke his heart and he said, these are supposed to be the people of God. Why are we in this situation? Jeremiah would be a good guy to be named with. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, and there's the visions that Ezekiel saw, the wheel within the wheel and the valley of dry bones and all that, it, that Ezekiel saw. What an amazing thing that was. He'd be a great one to be named among there. But Jesus is not one of these Old Testament prophets. He came to far exceed anything that those could be. Not one of those men, not one of them, could die for sin, rise again, and give us eternal life. Jesus is not one of those. He is not, secondly, a cosmic bellhop. Now, why do we call him a cosmic bellhop? Why would we think that he might even be something like that? There have been through the years, since probably New Testament days, those who would try to make Jesus be their personal servant to provide for them whatever it is their heart desires. If I just go to the Lord and ask believing in His name, then whatever I ask, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And we mistake that sometimes to mean that if we say, well, Lord, I need this over here. I need that over there. And, and, I, wanna, and I really want that. And so would you, would you provide that for me? then we think he's just going to automatically do it. No, you can get on your knees and pray for a Lamborghini, but if he doesn't want you to have one, you're not going to get it. I just hate to tell you that, all right? We need to understand he is not there at our beck and call. We are, we are here to fit within his ministry and do things according to his word, his will, his way that he has directed us. And we says, when you pray asking in my name, in my name. What does it mean to be in the name of Jesus? Character, person, who he is, what he came to do. When we, when we identify with that and say, Lord, here's what you came to do. Here's what you want us to do. And Lord, would you help us in that? Then when we ask in those ways, yes, he's going to be right there. I have an idea that if any of us this morning were to bow our heart before the Lord, and say, Lord, would you please help me to be a soul winner? Would you please help me as I go about life to help other people understand what it means to know Jesus as Savior? Would you help me with that? Show it by example. Show it by what I say. Let my words uh, 
the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, let it all be pleasing to you. I don't think that God would sit there, Jesus would sit there and say, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't think that's what he would be like at all. So he's not there just to give us whatever's our whim and call, but he's there to be our Savior, our Lord, and to help us do the ministry that he is involved with in this world. Thirdly, he's not a doormat at the threshold of heaven. Sometimes we think just because we joined the church and went through the waters in the baptismal pool that our ticket is punched and everything is fine and we're on the way and all is well. Well, that's not exactly how it is. We can put our name on the roll of a local church, but just saying it doesn't mean that it's so. That doesn't mean we're a child of God. We could be baptized many, many times over, go through the waters rather, and that doesn't make us a born-again child of God. We can do all kinds of things. We can uh, attend church. We can do so many, many things. But if we don't know the Lord, we're not His. He's not just a name. We say, well, you know what? I'm going to join a church, and I'm going to join a church in Jesus' name, and that way I'm going to go to heaven, and everything's going to be okay. I remember when I was a kid that I was talking with one of my friends one time, and this is when I was the real young one that joined the church, before I joined Jesus at 23 years old. But we were talking, and, and uh, he said, you joined the church, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I sure did. And he said, that's good. That means you're going to heaven. You're not going to hell. I'm all good. But as I grew to understand who Jesus was, I found out that's not the case. We need to know who Jesus is. My Nate came at six years old and said, Dad, I want to join, I want to accept Jesus. Took him home, sat him down. We went through the process. I didn't want him to just join something. Thank God he didn't come and say, I want to join a church. He said, I want to join Jesus. I went through what sin is. Do you understand this? You have sinned against God. You need to understand that. And so we talked about that. And he said, Yeah, I understand. And he asked Jesus to be his Savior. Man, what a blessing that is. Can't take those kind of things away. He's not a doormat that we walk over. See, so many times folks join the church and they think, well, that's it. Everything's done. Now I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. That's a good thing. He's not a doormat. Jesus is the Savior from sin. He's the Lord, to be Lord in our lives. And we need to understand that. So many times folks say, well, you know, I've, I've got my name on the roll, so it doesn't really matter whether I attend corporate worship or not. Even in the face of Hebrews 10, 25, when it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching when the Lord is coming back. And then when he comes back, we want to be ready. And he says, I want you there. I want you learning. I want you growing. I want you encouraging each other. I want you to be there to, to instruct each other. I want you to grow together and, and share what each other has with each other. That's part of what Sunday school is all about. When you get in those Bible study times where you can talk about it and, and share together, what a blessing. It's part of what this is about, to challenge and encourage and convict and, and comfort and, and lead us along. That's what this is all about. So many times folks say, well, I don't need to go to church. I can serve God just as good on, 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 the, on, on the lake on Sunday morning as I can at church. No, you can't. Can't do it. I can serve God just as well on the golf course Sunday morning as I can in church. No, you can't. Won't happen. It won't happen. Be in the house of God. And you say, preacher, you're talking to the choir. We're here. <laughs> yes, we are. 
But when you have an opportunity to share that with people around, be sure to encourage them about what it is that we do here and why we come into this place. He's not a doormat over which we walk into heaven. It means that we trust him. He is our Lord. But let's look at who he is. We talked some about who he's not. Let's look at who he is. First of all, he is the son of the living God. We see that phrase or this description of Jesus in the Bible. It's an identification of Jesus with God. He is designated as God's son. Since God came into this world as a baby to become a man, to identify himself with us, to experience life as we experience, and then to experience death, even as we experience that, he is identified with us. And so he came as a baby, identified as the Son of God. But he is God with us. And he showed us that he was so much more than just a man with us when he rose again from the dead and took his life back in resurrection power. But he is the Son of God, identified with God in that kind of way. He showed us who he really was. But secondly, he is Christ the Savior. Not only is he the Son of God, identifying with God, but he is Christ the Savior. Notice that Peter in this text this morning said in response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ. The Christ. The Christ means anointed one. It's the one chosen by God the Father to come as the Son of God among us as Emmanuel to be our Savior from sin. And the only one who can do that is God. And he said, so you, have, you, you are now here among humankind to be the anointed of the Father, to be the Savior from sin. We know what his task was as he came, to be our Savior, chosen and appointed by the Father. When Jesus came, here's what he said. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he's all about. He is God the Son. He is Christ the Savior. Thirdly, He has human parentage. He has human parentage. And we understand that in order to come close to us and to help us in our every time of need, He had to be like us. He had to become one of us. And so He became human to identify with us in our life. Remember what the angel said there in the first, first chapter of Matthew when he says the virgin shall be with child. This young lady shall be with child. I'm going to come and be among you. And he said, he went on and said, she shall bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. But he said, the virgin is going to bear a son. He's going to identify as human being, but he's going to identify as God as well. So he's God's son with human parentage come as the anointed one of God to be our Savior from sin. That's who He is. That hasn't changed. It's not going to change. What else did He have? He had a human physical nature. The Bible says that Jesus was hungry. He got hungry. We do too. We're going to leave here in a little bit and we'll go out and try to satisfy that, that need in our life. Jesus experienced that same kind of thing. He was hungry. Jesus thirsted. He said he thirsted. He went to the graveside of a friend of his, Lazarus. And the scripture records that Jesus wept. He wept. 
He understood our emotions. He prayed. He prayed to the Father. As a man here on earth, the Son of God, human parentage, identifying with us as a man, he understood we need to pray. We need to spend time with the Father in personal communication. And he too wanted to spend time with God the Father in personal communication. He had those human nature about him. He had compassion. He cried. He rejoiced. He rejoiced. I like the idea of Jesus rejoicing, don't you? I don't think Jesus always walked around with a long face, you know, oh my goodness. Oh my, I don't think he did that. I think there were times when Jesus laughed. I think he enjoyed life. If he's going to be human like we are, there's going to be times he's going to laugh. And I can see Jesus laughing. Someone painted a picture of Jesus laughing. And I thought it was a great picture. One guy in one of my churches some years ago said, I don't like that picture. I don't see Jesus being frivolous. I'm not talking about being frivolous. I think he was enjoying life and he laughed and, 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 and it's okay to laugh and enjoy some good things in this life. Jesus had that nature that you and I have. And I think when we, re, when we rejoice in the Lord and we rejoice in Him, the scripture in, in Psalm 100 says, with a loud voice, rejoicing, singing loudly. I, I, I don't have any problem with folks just enjoying Jesus. Do you? I think it's good for us all along to good, hearty laugh. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He had that physical, human nature that we have. But because Jesus was human, He knows our human sufferings and temptations. And because uh, He had that, because He suffered, when we suffer, we remember that he suffered so that he can comfort us and encourage us as well. When we're tempted, we need to remember that Jesus was tempted and he can help us in that temptation time find a way of escape that we may be able to endure it and go through it and still bring honor and glory to God. When we're tempted, we don't want to, to turn away from the Lord and say, well, you don't matter anymore. We don't want to do that, do we? When we're tempted here, we need to understand Jesus was tempted and he endured it. And he is right here with us, present with us, so that, that when we're tempted, he can be right there to say, let me help you through this. And if we'll turn to him, he will help us through it. You believe that? Boy, I believe that. Thank God for that. If not, we're in trouble. Next, he is Lord. We talked about him being Savior and Lord. He is Lord. And we need to understand that at the closing of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he said this, beginning in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So when Jesus was here, he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm going to go. I'm going to send you another comforter. He's going to come. He's going to bring things to your remembrance. He's going to help you. He's going to encourage you. He'll be all that you need. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, 
sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So he said, my Lord said to my Lord, sit right here until I bring it all to fruition and every enemy is put down. That last enemy death is put down and we have the total victory in the Lord. Well, I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? That's what he said. But listen to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. That certainly applies to us today. He was preaching to those people, but it's in God's word for us to grab and understand and appropriate for ourselves. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. We need to understand we crucified Jesus. Do what? I wasn't alive back when the Romans were driving the nails in his hand. I wasn't there among that crowd saying, crucify, crucify. I wasn't in that crowd. No, but when he was on the cross and he was there saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was taking the sin of the world upon his shoulder. And my sin is what put him on the cross. And your sin is what put him on the cross. And the sin of those soldiers put him on the cross. And the sin of those religious Jews put him on the cross. We're all responsible. We need to understand that. But God has made him Lord and Christ. Christ, the anointed one of God, come to be our Savior, Son of God, human parentage, to live among us, identify with us, die for us, and take his life back in resurrection power. He is Lord. And we need to understand that. Folks say, well, you need to make Jesus Lord. I understand what we're saying in that. We need to surrender ourselves to his lordship and say, Lord, you be Lord of my life. That means you be the boss. Lord means boss. I'm not the boss of my life. I'm not my own anymore. I bought with a price. Jesus died for my life. Now it's not mine anymore. It's his. Lord, here you take it. You're the Lord. God has made him Lord. We need to surrender to that lordship daily in our life. But to make him Lord, you're too late. God has already made him Lord. And everybody will understand that one day. When every knee will bow, Paul wrote to the Romans, every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. He is God. We remember that in Matthew. The angel said that. Emmanuel, God with us. But I want to talk about the attributes of God just for a minute as we wind down this morning. There are several attributes. I want to talk about five of them quickly. Number one, God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He has control. He can do what he wants to do. Jesus had that power. Do you remember when the disciples were out on the boat out at sea and the storm came up? Jesus is asleep. It's tougher to sleep through storms sometimes. But Jesus is asleep. A lot of peace there. The disciples wake him up. Do you don't care that we were perishing out here? Jesus just, the wind and the waves stopped. They said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his will? He is the omnipotent God. That's who he is. And when he says, be still, be still. When he says, blow, blow. 
He's in charge. A friend of mine stopped by to play golf some years ago, and uh, we'd planned this for a few months. He was coming through town and got out there that day, and about the 14th or 15th hole, man, the bottom fell out. He said, I can't believe you knew I was coming this long, and you didn't talk to the Lord and take care of this weather situation. I said, look, it's been dry in Tallahassee. I told God, whenever you want to send it, we'll take it. That's good enough right there. We'll take it. He is omnipotent. God is omniscient, all-knowing. Jesus knew the heart of the woman at the well. Jesus knew the heart of the Pharisees when he was there to heal the lame man. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. He knows where we're going. He knows why we're thinking what we're thinking. He knows why we're going where we're going. He knows why we're doing what we're doing. Do we want to be sure that what we're doing is pleasing to the Lord? We need to because He already knows. He already knows. That's encouraging. God is omnipresent. Jesus tells us that He will be wherever two or three are gathered in His name. He says to His believers, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you alone. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the very presence of Christ. And who is that? Paul told the Colossians, he says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's who He is. Do you know today? Look around. Jesus is here. He's here today. North Florida Baptist Church with us. He is here. I'm glad of that. Aren't you? Glad he's here. He's always. Fourthly, God is eternal. Notice these three passages. You know them well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was already there. In the beginning, God was doing all this. And then in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's who he is. All the way from everything, not just the beginning of the earth, and we're talking about time and, and God's creating ability and what He's done and put it all together and making it going. And He did that at the beginning of this earth and sun and moon and universe and all that. God put it all together, no question about that. We understand that. But how could He do that if He wasn't already there? God is eternal. You see, it's hard for us in our limited, finite human mind to wrap our mind around this thing called eternity. Eternity never stops. Guess what? It never started. Eternity is eternity. Eternity past as well as eternity future. You see, we always want to put a stop sign somewhere at a brick wall and say, that's it. This is the end. It's done. It's over with. What's our next logical question? What's beyond that stop sign? What's beyond that wall? There's something out there. What is it? Folks, it's eternity. God always has been. God is now. God always will be. And in John, he went a little bit further and said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's that identification with God and with man as humankind, but it was God who was doing the creating. It was God who was doing it all, and He is God with us. Jesus is eternal, always has been. Lastly, God is immutable. He never changes. He never changes. 
writer of the Hebrews said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he always has been, he is now. Hasn't changed. What he always has been and is now, guess what? He always will be. Never changes. He is the same. Boy, what a blessing to know we have a Savior and a Lord like that. It's like the Old Testament Hebrew I me statement. The perfect I me statement was found when Moses was out by the the burning bush and and he saw that bush there and God said, take off your sandals, uh, Moses, where where you're standing is holy ground. And so he took them off. God said, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people free. And he said, I can't talk. I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, he gave all the excuses we might give. God finally said, I got some helpers out there for you. Don't worry about that. But then Moses asked this question. He said, when I go back, they're going to want to know who sent me. And he says, you tell them that I am that I am. I am has sent you. I am. The perfect I me statement in Hebrew. It means what I always have been, I am now, and continually always will be. And that's what's said about Jesus in the New Testament. He never changes. Always the same. Note this morning, Jesus possesses every characteristic of God. That's encouraging to me. I hope it is to you. As we understand this person we serve, this Lord that we serve, this Jesus, this anointed one of God that we serve, this Emmanuel, God with us, is the one who has founded his church. And he said, I will build my church. I'll build my church. And I want to let you be a part of that with me. Join with me and let's go and build my church. Someone said this, and I thought it was said well, Christ was human so that he could understand us. But Christ was divine so that he could help us. He came to be a part of us, experience life like we experience it, and then die for us and rise again. Be our Savior and Lord so that he could walk through life with us, encourage us, help us through, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us his encouragement. Fully God, fully man, the God-man. That's who our Savior really is. Let me close with some questions this morning. Do you love the church? Yeah. We love the church. Why do we love the church? We love the church because you know, it's just this is where our friends gather. It's great to be with God's people. I love being with friends here in church. You know, I come in, I shake hands and people look up and, and so many times they're just smiles. And we say, man, it's good to see you. Yeah, lady, it's good to see you. We enjoy that. That's wonderful. But it's more than that. We're here like that because we're the people of God. We're Jesus' family. That's who we are. And that's exciting to be in that great family. We love the church because we love the founder of the church, Jesus, our Savior. I heard a story about Henry Ward Beecher. He was said to be one of the great preachers of the 19th century. But he was sick one Sunday couldn't make it to the, to the church, and so someone there was to fill in for him. And as this person went to the pulpit to preach, 
several people got up to leave. They saw Dr. Beecher wasn't going to be preaching, so they got up to leave. And the supply preacher, the substitute preacher, if you will, the one filling the pulpit that day, stood up as people were getting up to leave, and he said this. He said, all of those who came to worship Dr. Beecher today may leave. All those who came to worship the Lord sit back down. They all sat back down. I would have about that time, wouldn't you? No, you're saying, look, I would have never got up to lead to begin with. Amen. I agree. Because we didn't come to worship the preacher. We came to worship Jesus. And that's what it's all about.